thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi, it's Chuck Quinley here, and welcome back to Thread, this time episode 37. Well, my long road trip, 30 days, is now over, and we're back in northern Thailand, got in last night, and my home is now going to be full of happy noise. We have six kids, and one got married, and four left us to go to college and beyond. We had one about to leave around Christmas this year, and then, lo and behold, they all came home. So now we've got everybody coming back. Andrew's married, lives just up the road from us here in Thailand, ministers here also. And uh, our empty nest is now a full nest again, at least until January. So I'm enjoying that. And uh, But that also means you may hear a little ruckus from time to time in the studio here, because the studio is in my office in the house. So happy family events for us. I hope you're happy in your family also. If you don't have your Bible, run and get it. This is an inspiring thread today. Good story, uh, not so long. We're in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. So please get your Bible and come right back for thread. Right. This is um, sort of a parenthetical story. Uh, Jesus is on his long, lonely journey to the cross. He has turned, you know, we talked about the hinge of the book when Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. And Jesus began to teach them differently than before. He wasn't just teaching how they should live. He began to teach about who he was, and he began to teach openly about his special relationship with God, about the fact that he was sent from God, the fact that he was one with God, and that he had come to not just be a teacher on the earth, but he had come to pay the ransom for the sins of many. And uh, that was where we left off in verse 45 of chapter 10. He's trying to get their mind hardened because of what's coming. They're headed to Jerusalem. They, um, most of his ministry was in northern Israel. And now he's on a foot journey. A large crowd is gathering. They get larger as the day goes. And he gets closer and closer day by day to Jerusalem. And that is going to be the site of a tremendous conflict. He is going to go head to head with the rulers and perverters of religion in his day. And there's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a prophetic confrontation in the temple over the business venture that they've turned the worship of God into. So he's, he knows that he is headed uh, not for an immediate victory. He is headed immediately toward conflict that will end in crucifixion. And he is, he's told the disciples this over and over again. And when he gets to that part, they just they don't want to hear that. And so they find metaphorical ways to try to interpret what he's saying and, or just tune it out. And he, he brings it up over and over again because he wants them 
to not be totally disheartened when it happens. He knows it's going to happen. Uh, it's part of the reason why he came. It's the biggest part of why he came to earth. It's serious business that he's on now. And so the tension is growing. As he gets near Jerusalem, everybody knows what's going on because for one year there's been this growing opposition, daily battles between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so now he's moving toward Jerusalem, tensions in the air, crowds are, uh, as he gets closer to Jerusalem, the crowds get larger, and he is three-fourths of the journey completed. He just now has to climb the long hill, uh, more of a mountain, up from the Jordan Valley to get up to Jerusalem. And that's where today's story starts. He gets in Jericho. And God puts an obscure, handicapped man in his path. And today's story is the testimony of that man, blind Bartimaeus. He was part of the early church. This is an eyewitness account. And he was someone that was known to the first century Christians. He's a man that, I'm not sure when he lost his sight, but he is a beggar. And he sits by the roadside just trying to exist day by day. He's in a pitiful state. Everybody is accustomed to seeing him there. And um, I, heard the, I heard his story masterfully told in Jamaica when I was pastoring there. We had a, a pastor that was preaching to us one day. And boy, he had him. He took it through knocking his drink over for breakfast and going to the market and buying something and getting shortchanged because he can't see the money and just uh, the mockery of children and people putting things in his way that would trip him and all the humiliations of his lifetime. And you know now on top of all that, he's a beggar. He's sunk so low and he just sits by the road and he begs. And this day, he hears the commotion. He can, you know, he's very tuned in with his other senses and he can hear something's going on. There's a large crowd of people. There's a lot of conversation going on. He can feel the energy in the crowd as it goes by. What's going on? What's going on? When he learns that it's Jesus from Nazareth, he begins to shout. He begins to cry out. And he's crying out, not just Jesus, but Jesus, son of David. This is not what everybody called him. Son of David means Messiah, Jesus, Messiah, our sacrifice, our chosen one, the problem solver, the nation redeemer, Jesus, son of David. I mean, this man's blind, but he sees clearly what a lot of seeing people could not perceive. He's, he's apprehended who Christ is by faith, and he's shouting it out, and he's shouting as loud as he can. He won't stop shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, son of David. And verse 48, the crowd rebukes him. Many, it says, many warned him to be quiet. I mean, they don't have much respect for him anyway. Uh, those cultures in those days, and I guess all cultures around the world, didn't uh, cherish the handicapped. And um, so they, they tell him to be quiet. He's violating social norms. He's not being polite. He's not... He's not being respectful. He's not you know, fitting in with how society says he should be right now. And they're rebuking him. And that, that led me to a question as I was thinking about this because 
Uh, Thread's not just a Bible study. It's a study for leaders, a verse-by-verse scripture study for those who are called by God to lead and to be influencers. And here's my question. Why do we let the censure of an uncaring crowd limit us and restrain us? Why do we let just the a look from somebody in a public place? You know, there's a lot of public ministry that could be done with so much power and anointing where you just invade an area in the name of Jesus, except it is in public. And all it takes is, you know, someone's going to complain and someone's going to give you a look or even tell you to stop it. Uh, what do you do? You know, do you just cave because somebody who doesn't care about you, who doesn't care about the Lord's work, who's, you know, their heart's not in the right place. They're just, you know, it's whatever the crowd does, whether it's to be politically correct and, oh, you shouldn't be saying that. Or, you know, I've seen this played out a couple times in my life. I was in uh, the Philippines for many years and we were in a, an outreach to a squatters area. And most of these outreaches are led by young women. And one day, uh, as I was there, I, I turned and I looked, and the girl who was in charge of this outreach was, was really crying. She came away from a conversation with a man in the community, and she was, she was trying to be tough, but she was crying. And I said, what, what happened? And she said, he threatened me. He said, we're to stop coming here. He told me, you know, he would do something bad to me if I come back. And, um, but you know, next Saturday, she was right back in her place. And every Saturday after that, she was tough. She didn't let that one man's threat, she prayed about it, felt like God said stay, so she stayed. And she just accepted what might happen to her. Uh, I, had, I was in China uh, when it was uh, even more restricted than today. And, you know, there's a lot, the crowd there was not just uh, Chinese, but it was the missionaries. And so a lot of the missionaries, you know, it's hard to learn Chinese. It's one of the hardest languages in the world. And so they're working so hard to learn Chinese, and the last thing they want is to get kicked out of the country. So they are, uh, there was a little bit of pressure between missionaries for no one to do anything to rock the boat, which basically meant they could all work as English teachers, but nobody had better say very much about their faith because it might make somebody mad and they might all get in trouble for it. And there were these two guys in the group, and they followed that for years, and uh, now their term of service in China was just about finished, and they had seen very, very little spiritual fruit because they had been so cautious every day. And I remember going with them to their English club, which was held in a hotel, and it was around Christmas, so they just decided to quit caring about what uh, authorities said and uh, also quit caring what missionaries said. And so they just stood up boldly, and it was kind of like, if you don't want to be bold, don't get near us because we're not going to hold back from now on. And so they just would stand there, and they'd teach them Christmas songs about Jesus. They'd explain what the songs are about, and you know, they just began every meeting, every Saturday they had, English club at this hotel for anybody that wanted to converse and learn about Western ways. And they would just push it harder you know, every single week. What else can we do next week? Um, there's a spirit in an overcomer. There's a spirit of faith that will not allow other people to set the agenda, will not allow a fear of someone else saying something bad about you. You know, what is that exactly? That ain't going to hurt me. 
But that's all it takes for most of us. You know, just the least little disapproving look, and we're going, well, guys, we need to be quiet. We need to be quiet. So here's a man and the whole crowd, many, many people, it says, in the crowd are warning him. You be quiet now. You, be, you stop that. You be quiet. But look at what it says in verse 48. It says, he cried out all the more. It's like, the more you tell me not to, it's just going to stir me up. And he just shouted it over and over. Son of David, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And verse 49 says, says Jesus heard him. You know, Jesus always sees people like this man. He loves faith. And he rejoices whenever he can find it upon the earth. So he stops everything he's doing. And, and you'll see him throughout his ministry that if, if he can encounter a person of tenacious faith, he will stop whatever it is he's up to. Because that it's so hard to find those people. And everywhere he sees one, they just make his day. And you know, I think God set this man in, in the path as an encouragement for Jesus. It's not the, the wealthy people in the palaces. It's not the political leaders. It's not the religious uh, big shots. It's this little beggar man. But in the kingdom... Many who are first shall be last, and many who are thought last shall be first. And this man is a first place, faith-filled man of God. And he just shouts it, shows his faith, and Jesus stops everything in his very serious business day. I mean, he had important, life-changing work to do. But when he sees this man, he just stops it. He calls him. Notice he doesn't go to him. A lot of times Jesus will, you know, he'll go to the person, he leans down, he takes him by the hand. I kind of think he's setting the, uh, <laughs> he's giving um, Bartimaeus a little more credit. You know, he's giving us some stage time now. He's going, wow, I want everybody to see this man. So he stays where he's at. The crowd has to part. And he says, tell him to come to me. Well, he can't see. And I love the visual that Mark records in verse 50. And Mark's um, book is the remembrances of Simon Peter. And uh, this thing was burned in his memory, you know, that throwing aside his garment. And you can just see this cloak that's holding him, you know, it's like it's in his way. It's holding him down. It's keeping him warm, maybe. But it's also uh, wrapping up around his feet. And he just... Argh! He just takes his, you know, it's his chance. He's not going to miss his chance. He takes his coat, pulls it off, and he just like flings it in the air, and he starts moving toward the voice of Jesus that's calling for him to come. And the people of faith are saying, man, get your faith up. Be excited. The Master is calling you. And Bartimaeus runs to Jesus' feet, and Jesus says to him in verse 51, what? do you want me to do for you? It's not, you know, just what do you hope happens. Bartimaeus has recognized that Jesus is unique. He is Messiah. He is Lord of everything. And because he's recognized that, his problems are not limiting him. The crowd is not limiting him. Jesus is liberating him. And if he can just get to Jesus, if he can get Jesus' attention, and if he can get to him, he knows he can get what he needs. And Jesus says to him, what do you want? You got it. One wish. You know, this is your day, man. 
one wish. What do you want? And whatever comes out of his mouth, he's about to receive it. I mean, he could have said, oh, Lord, that you would give me enough money that I would never have to beg again. I think he would get the money. Oh, Lord, you know that I could I could start a business and be the most successful blind merchant in the world. I think Jesus would have said, just do good things with that money. And, you know, he would have thought up, who knows, he might have thought of candles because it took him another thousand years for someone to think up candles. Um, but he didn't because he was a man of faith. And he asks for something that had never been done. In the Old Testament, this was not done. Prophets didn't do this. There weren't healers that healed the blind. We've had healers that healed leprosy. We've had healers that healed different things in the, in the Scriptures. But a healer of blind men, that didn't happen before Jesus. And Bartimaeus says, Lord, that I may receive my sight. He knew what he wanted. He had one wish. He had one desire in his heart. And Jesus' response is beautiful in verse 52. He says, go your way. Your faith has, in the Greek, already made you well. This is already done. Jesus doesn't pray for him. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't put his hands on his eyes. He doesn't rub mud in his eyes. He doesn't do any of the things that he has done for other people. He just speaks a word because his word has so much power. And Bartimaeus is a man who understands and recognizes the power of God, the, the bigness of God. And, and Jesus recognizes the power of having one desire. You know, when asked, what's the one thing, one thing, only one thing that you want from God, that you want God to do for you right now, Bartimaeus had an answer. He didn't have to, oh gee, you know, there's so many things I want. He knew his one thing. Do you know your one thing? If, if you had uh, a miraculous encounter with God today and the Lord said, say what it is. What one thing do you want? What would your answer be? Are you ready for the question? I think it's really important. We need to have our our heart needs to be so simple and our desires so prioritized that we know exactly what our one thing is. David said in the Old Testament, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that thing I am seeking after. He just said, I just want to behold your beauty. I want to stay in your presence. I want to be near you in worship. I want to get as close to you as a person as I can. That's all I want from life. Solomon said, I want, I want wisdom to rule my people. I want to be a good governor of the nation and I need your wisdom to do that. When God finds someone that has one desire, He grants that desire. So I pray that today, one, you won't let the crowd hold you back. You won't let anybody's, you know, negative words ever deter you again from the course that you know your heart leads you to. I pray also that your faith will rise up and become powerful like Bartimaeus' faith was. And thirdly, that you will know the one thing. Your heart will have one desire. You'll be seeking God for one thing day and night 
bringing it up in your prayer, not just a long list of prayers, the one big prayer. You know, when uh, um, John the Baptist's father was in the temple, uh, he had not had any children. John the Baptist wasn't born yet. But this is how he came to be. The angel spoke to his father, Zechariah, and said, your prayer has been answered. He didn't even have to ask what his prayer was. It was the prayer. He had prayed it all his life. Oh, God, give me children. You know, give me at least one child. And all these years, that prayer had not been answered. But on that day, the angel was there to say, you're one thing. You're going to get that from God. So hold on by faith. Claim it. Stand on it. God loves faith. So let's exercise ours. That's all for today. If you'd like to talk to me directly, you can just email me, chuck at quinley.com. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to emergenetwork.org.